are encouraged with this message. For more information, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. The thing is with Scripture is a lot of times there are so many uh, metaphors to describe the supernatural. How many of y'all know sometimes the supernatural is a little bit kind of out there, right? That's why we call it supernatural, right? It's beyond the natural. It's beyond what what we have the natural capacity to receive. So scripture is full of all these metaphors and all these sermons and or uh, illustrations and pictures and images of things to compare the supernatural to, right? Jesus told stories and parables and all these different things to describe what the supernatural life is like. He used natural things to point to supernatural things. How many know that that the natural is first I mean, the supernatural is first and then the natural. We think many times in, in reverse because we're, we're natural beings, right? We're born. Jesus said you got to come into the kingdom. You got to be born first of, of water, right? And he talks about that. And then he says, what does that mean? Well, when you're born, right, your mom's water breaks. And so you're born. He said, but, but you've also got to be born in spirit. And so to understand spiritual things, you have to have a spiritual grid, right? You have, a, have to have a spiritual container. That's why you have to be born again to understand the spirit. You got to be born again to understand the supernatural. And so Jesus talks in parables and all these kind of things to break things down for us, even sometimes whenever we're uh, what might be called carnally minded. Sometimes we just think in terms of the natural scripture. God is gracious to us that he gave us scripture to break things down a little bit so we can get it right. And it isn't wonderful that the the natural reflects the supernatural. Um, God has an instinct. Okay, just like we can look at at natural animals, right? Animals have instincts, right? You as a as a as a man, you have instincts, right? Women, you have instincts. So we have these instincts, and, and how many know that God has instincts as well? In fact, some of the instincts that you have are the same instincts that God has. Now, we don't share all the instincts that God has, but some of the instincts that, that, we, that we have is because God has those instincts. God has an instinct to, to protect and nurture his kids. How many of y'all mothers in the house, you have that instinct, right? Come on. Don't make mama mad. Right? Mama is, you know, you, you don't mess with mama, right? Once mama gets, right? Because mama is what? A protector. And mom's instinct is to nurture. So it's her job to, not really her job to worry about our kids, but a lot of times moms struggle with that, right? They're worried. They're, they're concerned. They have this overwhelming thing. Why? Because their nature, their instinct is to protect and nurture their children. And uh, it's the nature of God also to nurture, Right? And so scripture gives this illustration of wings, which we're going to talk about today. But I was thinking uh, about that natural instinct. And uh, I was thinking when I was a kid, I had this, this cat. Her name was Fluffy. And uh, Fluffy was the, not the most pure of cats. Some of you all had cats before. And, and uh, so Fluffy kind of, you know, she made her rounds every year and had lots of lots of kittens. And so she, she, you know, she was a cat, and uh, but she was our cat, and we loved her. But one time we found these dogs, these stray dogs, they were puppies, and uh, we decided to keep them, of course, because that's what kids do. And uh, we we had all these dogs, and they kept dying. All these dogs were dying because they didn't have a mother to nurture them. Well, because Fluffy was always prime, uh, in, in you know, to, to bear children and to provide for her children, she had milk in her body. 
And so what we did is we had this little puppy that was born, and we named him Clyde. And we were great at naming, naming animals. We had Fluffy for a cat, right, and then Clyde for a dog. Isn't that a cool name for a dog? And so we said, hey, you're going to name him Clyde. And so we, I don't think we named him yet, but he was there. And so Clyde was basically dying. He didn't have anyone to nurture him. So we actually, like, let him. We put him next to Fluffy, our cat, and he starts breastfeeding off our cat. Isn't that wild? It was the coolest thing. If we would have had cell phones back then, we would have been taking pictures of videos, and it would have been viral on the Internet. We didn't have all, We probably didn't even take it with, like, one of our, you know, I don't even know what you call those cameras anymore, Polaroid or something. Uh, we would have taken a picture of that, and we would have sh- shared it on the Internet. But because we didn't, we don't have any proof. But I'll never forget just being so fascinated that the instinct of this mother was to, was to nurture this abandoned child. Isn't that cool? And, you know, that instinct in nature is an instinct that comes from our Heavenly Father. It's just an instinct to nurture. It's an instinct that's there. And uh, Scripture talks a lot about this, this aspect of wings, okay, that, that we find shelter in God's wings. In fact, let me share the Scripture with you. Psalm uh, chapter 17, verse 8, it says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of of your wings. Now, does God have wings, physical wings? I don't think God has wings, but again, Scripture has given us a metaphor, a picture, an image that God actually will provide shelter for those that need it. Jesus says this. I, I want to read this Scripture to you this morning and give you a little background on it. Psalm chapter 20, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He's talking to the religious people. He's dealing with them. And he says this in verse 3. He says, so practice. Now, now we, we, we like the scriptures when Jesus is bashing on the religious people, right? Because we're like, dude, they need to let them have it, Jesus, right? And so Jesus is, starts speaking up in Matthew 23, and he's like, listen, he's like, practice and obey everything they tell you, but don't follow their example. So Jesus is saying what the religious people are doing telling you to do isn't so bad, but don't follow their example. They're doing it right, but they're doing it wrong, right? They had the wrong motive, and then they were imposing things on people and weren't helping people keep the things that they were uh, telling them to, to fulfill, and they were putting all this weight on them, and they're saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, but they weren't, and Jesus actually said it this way, they're not willing to lift a finger to help. And so Jesus is talking about them. He's talking, now, now let me just say this. Many times when we talk about the church, we tend to equate the church with the religious people of Jesus' day. And that is a mistake. Understand? The church had not been born yet. The church wasn't born until Acts chapter 2. So when Jesus was talking to the religious people of the day in Jerusalem where he was at, now th- these were pe- this was the government. You guys got to understand this. You guys know when we talk about the Mosaic law, we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. There were actually, it was a law, it was the law of the land. It was the constitution, if you will, for the people of Jerusalem. So Jesus is, you know, is coming in here. He's saying, do that, keep that, all this kind of thing. So these people were coming in and they were actually adding to that law and they were imposing that law. And Jesus said, well, you know, this, this is the law. Go ahead and keep it. That's good. But don't follow their example. And, but again, so many times we're like, the religious people, it's just like the church. How many know that that religion is not owned by the church? Religion is actually a spirit of the world. Let me say that again. Religion is not owned by the church. It's actually a spirit of the world. And so you don't have to have God to have religion. You just have to have values. 
right? And so we're like, well, I'm not religious. You, you are religious. You're just not simply religious, right? You have a code that you keep, right? You have standards. I hope you do. I hope you have standards that you keep. In fact, that's why it says in James, he's like, your religion shouldn't be in vain. In other words, you should really hold to the things that you believe, right? So you are religious, but you're not religious in the sense of what Jesus was talking about to these people that day that had an expectation of everybody else, but they weren't willing to help, right? Rules without relationship. Uh, Religion has uh, values, but religion alone has empty values. So they have all these values, but there's no connection, right? And so this is the problem that, that the religious people had, and the reason why Jesus was rebuking them is because they didn't have a connection with the people. They were just imposing on the people all these rules. And so Jesus is ticked. He's like, why are you doing this? Um, now, the difference between the church is this, is the church has values with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We call it godly character, right? And so it might look the same, Right? The actions might be the same, except for one has empty values and the other one has godly character. Are y'all okay today? All right. Um, now, Jesus is in this conversation, Matthew 23, and he's, he's just, you know, he starts going into this list. He's like, don't follow their example. And then he starts, like, railing them. He's like, gives them this list of woes, and he's rebuking them, and Jesus is being very judgmental. He's judging these religious people. He's saying, you, you have all these things and, and tell them everything that they're doing wrong, not so much the things that they're saying, but how they're being towards the people. Then he says this in verse 37. And this is where we're tying everything together. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. For I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So a couple of things about this text. First of all, is he is full of mercy, even over the religious now, when Jesus is saying this, he says, oh, Jerusalem, old, old Jerusalem. Jesus, it, it says in, in, in Luke 19 that he was actually crying, that Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem. So here's all these religious people, and we're like, yeah, get them, Jesus. And he's weeping. When he's saying these woes, it's not in rebuke mode where he's like, shame on you. He's not, he doesn't have a religious spirit about it. He's actually connected to them. He loves the religious. He hates how they're acting, but he loves them. He longs for them. Are you with me? And it says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. He's actually weeping over the people, over this, the, these people that have this system. So, so he is full of mercy. These people don't deserve mercy. They've been killing the prophets. He just said that, right? But he still has mercy. What does he say? He says, the father longs to gather you like a hen does, it chick, does its chicks. Now, if you can go onto YouTube and watch videos of hens doing this. When, when hens will sense a, a, a danger for their children, they'll make kind of a, a hen noise. Elisa has this fascination with animals. She has these little uh, cards that have all the... Animals on what do you call those 
flashcards, and she can name all the animals. It's so cute, you know, and she goes over and over to the animals, and sometimes we'll make the noises of the animals, or we'll talk about the colors, but she knows all the animals, and the animals have a sound. Now, the sound that the, the hen makes, I'm not going to try to make it this morning because it's really bad, but she, but this hen makes this kind of strange, like, balk that, you know, chickens make, and when she makes that, you will see the birds, the chicks, run to the hen, and they'll run to the hen. And when the hen senses that, the hen will spread out its wings and gather all the chicks in and just making this noise, and they're running. And she's saying, there's danger coming. Get underneath my wings. And the hen, listen, the hen can become very violent towards the enemy, but very protective of its chicks. How many know that that is a picture of mercy? And uh, even God, listen, God has even the most religious, mean-spirited person that we despise, that we criticize, God has mercy over them. He is saying, I want you to come under. I'm rebuking you, not just because I'm ticked off. I'm rebuking you because I want you to come in. It's like, it's like the hint, the rebuke is the hint going, get under here, get over here, get under my wings. And he's saying, come on, come on, come on. And what happens when we get in those wings? It's soft, it's protective. And you don't want to tick a hint off. I remember when I was a kid, my neighbor's uh, we didn't live in the country, so it was really weird, but, um, but they had chickens in their backyard. And I remember whenever we go, the chickens are okay. You know, you kind of walk at chickens, and they kind of freak out. But if you scare them too much, they'll actually attack you, especially the hens. And they'll beak you to death, right? <laughs> you know, they'll come after you. So they do have a protective element, especially when they feel threatened. And so Jesus gives us this picture, Jesus, with these wings that are spread over these blood-stained wings protecting his chicks. And he's saying, will you just find refuge in me? I'll defend off. I'll protect you. I'll defend off anything that will come your way. So we see in this text that Jesus is full of mercy even towards the religious. His cry is the same. Listen, the cry of Jesus is the same to everyone. Come. Come. Now, they were under the Roman Empire. Rome was about to, about to come and, and dominate and take over uh, Jerusalem. If you guys know anything about history, they came in at about 70 AD and took over. And, and the picture there is, is of them, their symbol was actually an eagle. Well, eagles hate hens, and hens hate eagles. Why? Because they find their chicks easy prey. And so Jesus, the meek, mild lamb, can actually defend us from the most violent of predators. Are you with me? So we see that he is full of mercy. Number two, he is a community builder. He is a community builder. In the Old Testament, they had these cities that they would establish, and you guys can read a lot about it, and they were called cities of refuge. And what they would do is they would have these cities. Sometimes it was a city that that wasn't his, in, his intention, but they would make this city a city of refuge. And what they would do is they would, they would provide a way for someone who killed somebody innocent if, or, or you accidentally killed somebody or you get accused of killing somebody and family is coming after you, people are coming you after, for, after you for a crime that you did not commit, you can actually flee to one of these cities of refuge and buy safety there. We can get all the things that we've been talking about in this, this, 
this series. You can get uh, protection. You can get you can get companionship. You can get food. You can get all the things that you need to survive in this city of refuge. So what would happen is if you know they're out working one day and a guy like accidentally hits a guy with his shovel and he dies and the family now wants to have vengeance on that guy, what that guy will do is he'll flee to a city and there were all these cities that they would set up. They were called cities of refuge, and when they go there, the people of that city would actually take this person under their wing, if you will, and protect them from those that were coming to attack them. Now, under the new covenant, there is a city of refuge. We call that the church. Come on, are you with me? And we are a city, (coughs) not where the innocent come, but where the guilty come. Only those that are welcome in this city are not the innocent because they never did anything wrong, but those that know that they did something wrong and were willing to admit it. Only those that have recognized their guilt, then they're made innocent by the blood of Jesus and welcomed in to this city. So we see this about Jesus in this illustration that he's full of mercy and he gathers he gathers us together. I believe that God put you in this church. If this is if this if overflows your church, He puts you in this church to put you with community in this house, so you can live under the protection of Jesus, but also do life together, and you can have all the things that you need. Because sometimes, sometimes I need your strength, right? Sometimes I can't handle it enough on my own, so I need Christians. Because He 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 might have gone through that. But see, I haven't gone through that before. And I don't have the word for that, but he does. And so God puts us in community. He gathers us together so we can be with people to do life with so that, so that it's a little bit easier in this world where Jesus said that we will have hardships, that we will have difficulty. So Jesus gathers us like that hen, just gathers us together, protects us from all those things, and puts us together. Isn't it good that he puts you together with people that love you? It doesn't mean that we're not going to have squabbling and fighting and, and things among us. We will have those things at that time. But, but what defines a community is this, is that we live in the same place. That's what defines us as a community, that we're together, right, that we live in the same place. I mean, we have, like, social community now, right? We have, like, all these, like, uh, media, social media things, and we call that community, online community, networking, all that kind of stuff. But how many of you know that you need someone with skin on? in your life, right? There's nothing wrong with that stuff. In fact, it's great for staying connected with people, but, you know, they're kind of a touch away. But you need someone that's in your world. And the thing that defines community is that we live in the same place. So that's why there's no Lone Ranger Christians, right? Because God is a gatherer. He brings us together. So I want to talk this morning for just a few minutes about living in that shelter, living in the shadow of his wings, living in the shelter of what he provides. Psalm 91, we're familiar with this. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest. Come on, you're running, you're out of breath, you're exhausted. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers, and he will shelter you 
with his wings. Isn't that good to, this morning? I, I love this statement that he says right here. He says, and this I will declare, this I will say of the Lord. How many know that we need to have, if we're going to live in this community, if we're going to be people that are sheltered by Jesus, that we're living in the shelter of him, that we need to be a people that have a declaration, that we have a song, that we have an anthem. And this, and he tells us, he, he tells us what that anthem is. He said, because we're in the shelter, because we're in the shadow, because we live here, this is our, this is what we're declaring. This is what we're saying. We stand up here. We do our little offering declaration. We're saying, this is where we stand on our finances. We hear stories about that, right? This is our declaration. We make this. Sometimes it gets a little stale for us other times, but sometimes it's real, right? So now all of a sudden you got a check in the mail and you're like, dang it, check in the mail, right? And it became real to you. Why? Because you're experiencing it. But many times we're not experiencing good things because we're not saying good things. We're just negative. And so what happens is all we see is what we say. If I say pink elephant, you see pink elephant. Why? Because your words have power on them. There's something that happens when you speak. We've got to be, be careful about the things that come off of our mouth. The anthem of our heart comes out of our mouth. Can I tell you today that you can actually lead your heart by the things that you say? The things that you think on, the things that you say. Now, our heart also dictates what we say. Come on. So you need to start speaking more positive things. Quit being so negative. Quit being so poor me. Blah, 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 blah. Life is so whatever. This is what we're declaring because we live under the shelter. This is our declaration, number one. He alone is my refuge. See, my refuge isn't in my job. Your refuge isn't in your job. They might, write, they might sign your paycheck, but, but your refuge, your financial refuge is not in your job. Your job is not your provider. God is your provider. They might be the ones that sign your paycheck, but God is your provider. So you need to make that declaration that he alone is my refuge. The doctor is not your security. Your insurance plan is not your security. He alone is your refuge. He alone has purchased your healing. You, that needs to be your declaration. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with having insurance, nothing wrong with having a job. In fact, you need to have a job. Girls don't get with a guy that doesn't have a job. He can't provide for himself. What makes you think he's going to be able to provide for you? He alone is my refuge. When we say that, he alone, what are we saying? We're saying we are fully invested. I am fully invested in my refuge. I'm fully invested. See, the, the problem that Jesus had with these guys that had all these rules in Matthew 23 was not that they were doing the wrong things. They were doing it in the wrong way. So the tension was not that they had rules. The tension was all they had was rules. Let me say that again. The tension was not that they had rules. The tension was all that they had was rules. Some of you, all you have is rules. You have no heart connect with your father. You can be super unspiritual and keep the rules. We see this. Keeping the rules just makes you religious. You need to keep the rules. But if all you have is rules, Jesus has a problem with that. We see this right before he gets into this rant, Matthew 22. What does he say? Love 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your, where does it start? Heart. That's where they missed it. 
They were probably doing it with all their strength. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and all in. He alone is my refuge. I'm fully invested. Check this out. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of y'all love that scripture? Taste and see. Just taste the Lord and and experience him. Yeah. Taste and see he's good. And then many times that's all we say about this verse. And this is what it says in the second part of that verse. It says, oh, the joys of those that take refuge in him. See, listen, if you want to experience the joys, if you want to experience the blessing, you've got to take refuge. You can't just taste and experience. Because when you taste, all you get is a taste. But if you want the full experience, you've got to be fully invested. See, I, we have people over at our house. We love to host people, and people come over and, and eat our food and, and, you know, come in and pee in our bathroom and use our air conditioner. Right? We're all about that. We're all about people coming and hanging out. We love that. We love that they can taste and see that we're good. But until you come and live in my house, you don't get all the benefits of being a person that lives in my house. I mean, there's a difference between living somewhere and visiting somewhere. And many times people are this way with God. They visit God. They taste and see that he is good. But he's saying, will you take refuge in me and experience what it's really like? And so what we have is we have a generation of people that say, I tried God. And that's all they did. They tried God. So they tasted and they saw and they experienced. They got a little bite of his goodness, but there was no refuge. So there's not a fullness in their life. We're called to live in the shelter. You want to, you want, you got to live in my house to, to, to expect the benefits, right? My children, they have a right to say, dad, the air conditioner's not working. The Wi-Fi's not working. But if you come in and you're just visiting, who are you to say, well, the Wi-Fi's not working. You're just a complainer. You'll be asked to leave because complainers are drainers. If you want to eat the food, if you want to go in, you know, we, we have people, and we're, we're, we're really not this drastic, but if you came over to my house for the first time, and you're just kind of tasting and see that Josh is good, and you come into my house, and you start opening my pantry, and going and peeing in my private bathroom in our, in our bedroom, and all that kind of stuff, it's going to be, we're going to have some problems, right? Because we didn't clean that bathroom, <laughs> right? There's dirty clothes on the floor, the beds. We don't want you going to that part of the house. That's for people that live there, Right? So if you want to pee in my, bath, my quiet bathroom, you've got to be a member of the house. You can pee in the public restroom in the front, right? The guest restroom, sorry. Yeah, guest. We treat our guests good. Some of y'all are like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been there. Yeah, we have community group. You're always plugged in the commercial. Uh, you can always come. But, but to really experience all the benefits, to be able to raid the pantry, come on, to be able to walk around you know, like Elisa was the other day in her underwear. In order to do those kind of things, you've got you to live there. Come on. You've got to learn to live in the shelter. The problem is we expect the benefits without the buy-in. Right? We don't want to be fully invested, but we expect God to take good care of it. Well, you know, goodness. You might taste his goodness. God wants you to experience it. But you've got to be fully invested. John 15, Jesus talks about, this, talks about this way. He says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. Remain in me. That word is actually make a dwelling. If you will make me my dwelling, I will make my dwelling in you. Then everything that's in my house, you have a right to. See, we have a right to everything that's within his shadow. 
We have a right to healing. We have a right to provisions. We have a right to relationship. We have a right to forgiveness. Why? Because we live there. We don't visit. Visitors don't have the same rights. We're preaching now. He alone. This is, so this is your declaration. He alone is my refuge. He alone is my refuge. So I'm not freaking out when the bill comes and it's too high. What are we going to do for money? He alone is my refuge. When you go visit the doctor because you're not feeling good and they give you this list of medications you need to take and all the, this gruesome report, he alone is my refuge. God's got it. And that leads right into the next part. This is our second declaration. He is my God, and I will trust him. And I will trust him. This is our declaration, gang. He alone is my refuge. He is God. I trust him. I'm fully invested. It's not about, it's not about my, my confidence. It's about my Godfidence. Right? I trust him. I don't, I don't trust in my ability I, because my ability fails. So does yours. I don't trust in my ability to forgive my own sins or my own righteousness because I'm not that righteous. But instead, I live in the house and I get the righteousness of Jesus. That's what I get. Upgrade. Part of the issue that these people were having is they thought that they could experience this life with rules. You can't experience this life just by keeping the rules. In fact, people that just keep rules and they have no life, we call them legalistic. Nothing wrong with having those standards. Those are great standards to have. They're probably things that you need to do. Usually they are. But if all you have is that, you're just religious, you're just legalistic because then you start opposing on everybody else and say you're not righteous because of this. No, no, no. You're righteous and you do this. You live there. John 5 37. The Father who sent me to testify about me, him, <coughs> about me himself, you, you've never heard his voice nor seen him face to face. So Jesus is like, the problem is you haven't known him. And you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me, the one he has sent you. You search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. See, you can read your Bible all day long. You can be a theologian and not have life. Oh, the words are life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. But listen, the words alone cannot give you eternal life because you think this is the problem with the religious. They thought if they knew more, they would have more life. But the scriptures point to me. But you refuse to come to me to receive this life. So it's all about the connection. So this is the declaration that we say, and this is the declaration that we live by. He alone is my refuge. He alone is. He alone. When it gets dark, when it gets cloudy in your life, when things are getting tough, he alone is my refuge. He is my God in whom I will trust. I trust God. I don't trust the situation. I trust God. I live in his house. See, there's benefits when we take refuge 
in God. There's all kinds of benefits. Check this out. Psalms 36, verse 7. How priceless is your unfailing love. That's mercy. Both high and low among men, they find refuge in the shadow of your wings. That's widespreading. Right? God is full of mercy and he's wide. He spreads. How many of those, those wings stretch out far? David said it like this. He said that, that his, his arms are not too short to save. So he's got these big old, like, eternal lasting wings. Right? Like stretch arm strong wings. Or what's the Mr. Fantastic? Right? He's got these wings that just stretch. How priceless is your unfailing love? Because high and low men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast, and here, this is what it says about when you live in the house. They feast on the abundance of your house. They have pantry rights. Right? They have refrigerator rights. Now, I'm probably not going to get on your case if you go to my fridge, if you're over at the house and get into my fridge. But there might be something in my fridge, like my, my, my little breakfast sandwiches. We had Nathan live with us. I'll, I'll tell him about this later. We had Nathan living with us for a while, and uh, he would eat my breakfast sandwiches. And it was okay for him to do that. Why? Because he was living in the house. But if you came over to my house and you ate my breakfast sandwiches, we're going to have a chat. We have a little talk about that. You've you got to live in the house to have rights to the breakfast sandwiches. And he kind of had rights to those. You know, when you go and they're all gone and you're like, yeah, sucker. You know how it is, Benny. Come on. You know how it is when you have people living in the house. But li- when we live in his house, we have all the rights. Listen. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Four things, real quick, right here that we take from this. First of all, the first thing that you can expect as someone who lives in the shelter is, number one, you can, you can expect fulfillment and satisfaction. They shall be abundantly satisfied abundantly satisfied. Hey, have you ever eaten, like, have you ever been to, like, uh, what is that, oh, yeah, Golden Corral? Okay. So, or like a bad Chinese, this is a better example, like a bad Chinese buffet, right? And you go and, like, you eat, like, a bunch, right? And you just keep eating, and you keep eating, and, like, you're full, and you can't eat anymore, but you're not satisfied. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? You're just, you're full, but you're like, yeah, some buffets are good, but, you know, some are just not. But God wants you, listen, when you live in his house, you're abundantly satisfied. We're talking a lot about food today. I'm hungry. They shall be abundantly satisfied. So you're not just, like, satisfied, like, or you've eaten something before that was really good, and you ate it, and you're just, like, not abundantly satisfied, like, you're satisfied, like, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. Good meal. But like you want dessert? Oh, come on. Well, when we take refuge in him, we don't just get satisfied. We get abundantly satisfied. Abundantly. Listen, if you feel dissatisfaction in your life, can I tell you today? Rest in the shadow. Number two, you can expect joy and delight. So he says, you give them drink, drink from your river of delight. I mean, there's a river in heaven called delight. There's a river in heaven called joy that you can drink from anytime you want. 
So quit getting on Facebook and talking about how depressed you are and how, how needy you are. You're not needy, actually. You're fully satisfied. If you need community, then you come. God's given you community. He's given you people. Then come and hang out and be with people because we need that. Come on. Suck to do life alone. Thank God that we don't have to do that. But join delight. You get them drink from your river of delights. That's a good river to drink from. Come on. You're frustrated? I'll just drink. <laughs> you know some people that try to drink their troubles away. Right? Come on. Well, this is this is takes it to a whole nother level. This is the good drink. It's that new wine. Come on. You give them drink from your rivers of delights. Number three, you can expect an overflowing life. Well, with you is the fountain of life. So it's not just like a cup of water. It's a fountain. It's an unending fountain of life. And so you drink it, it fills you, and it pours out of you. Jesus said it this way to a, to a prostitute woman. He said, you drink from me, and you will have rivers pouring out of you. John 7. Rivers pouring out of you. You're not just going to have enough to be satisfied and to be full of joy and all that. It's actually going to, I'm going to put a fountain in you. People are going to come, people that are looking for joy and fulfillment are going to come to you. And you're going to be like, oh, it's just all Jesus. It's because Jesus, you're so full of Jesus that he's pouring out of you. And that's why people are complaining to you. And that's why people are telling you about your problems. Don't go, oh, I just get on my nerves. It's so draining. I know, I know, trust me, I know. Let's say not have to deal with this a lot as pastors. You know, we get people and they just come to us and we're like, oh, Lord, you're drinking all my fountain. You're drinking me up. You just drank everything. I was full, but you drank it. How many of you know that I need to learn? Just like you, we need to learn that God's put that well in us to provide for others. It's an overflowing life. Ah, you drink. Yeah, come on. You give them drink from your river of delights. And number four, the fourth thing that he says here is, is in your light, we see light. What is that talking about? That's talking about revelation. See, listen, you don't have to come to church every Sunday to get revelation. You can get some here. That's great. But my revelation is my revelation. And most of the time, my revelation that God gives me as a pastor here is to give you revelation. But that's a good enough revelation for today. What are you going to do for Revelation tomorrow? Well, I'll listen to the podcast. Well, what happens when all those are, when you've listened to all those? You can expect to have Revelation. You can expect God to reveal things to you. You can expect illumination, the light of Scripture, the light of God's Word, the light of His reality. You can expect those things because you live in the house. You can turn the lights on. So you can expect these things. Now, we're going we're gonna to move into a little bit of ministry here this morning. Um, I was just thinking about like some of the, the emotional issues that we have, which I believe that are all met right here in Psalm 36. Some of the soul things that we have, some of the, the trouble of heart, some of the <clears throat> frustration, the tension that we carry, the disappointment, the discouragement, right? I mean, the disappointment will make your heart sick. And some of you have been disappointed so many times. And, but can I tell you today, put your hope in Him. He alone is your refuge. 
and we could get up here and we could teach you and talk about how to get through all that stuff. But really, what we, what you need is you need an encounter from Jesus to to really satisfy these needs in your life. You need you need to taste, and then you buy in with the refuge, right? This thought came to my heart this week, and it was this: a life invested is a soul protected. And I think right now for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for soul issues. When we talk about souls, we're talking about soul, we're talking about mind, our will, our emotions. We're talking about our drive or the lack thereof, right? We're talking about the tensions of life, the discouragement, the despair sometimes that we're feeling. We're talking about soul issues, but a life invested is a soul protected. So what we're going to do is we're going to invest in the Lord for the next few moments. Are you guys with me today? And I want to share this scripture with you. Just, let's just stand up in this house real quick. We were having some instrument problems. Malachi 4. I'm going to read this over you and then we're going to pray. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out of the pasture, led out to the pasture. On that day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet. Isn't that good? So today, I believe that that's exactly what God wants to do, is he wanna, wants to, to be the son, the S-U-N, the S-O-N wants to be the S-U-N today, to just cast a shadow over your shadows. Through your darkness, through all the things that, that you feel despair about, he is going to, to, to rise with healing in his wings. And right now, that some of the, some of the root issues that are causing the, the tensions of soul, 